Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, boy, we're at that part of the year where at least in the morning, it's nice again. Isn't it great? And I just love being here. I love being on campus. I love walking around. I love all the trees. I love the grass that's coming in. I just love all that. I love the property and I love the beauty of our property here on campus. And I love, I love showing it around. Like uh, this week, I actually had a friend of mine from Texas. He was in town and uh, I, he's like, hey, show me, the, show me the place. And so we, sh- you know, I love walking around, showing him all the different things. But there's always one place that I start when I'm introducing someone to our property. There's always a place where the tour begins. Wherever I meet them, uh, we walk over uh, because there's a a feature tree that you may not even realize this is there. You might walk by it. Uh, If you park on the kids' ministry side of things, you might never walk by it. But if you come in this uh, eastern entrance, uh, you probably walk by it and you didn't necessarily even know it was there. It's a, it's a beautiful ironwood tree that we transplanted when we put this campus in. You know, most of the trees here uh, were planted four or five years ago when we moved on to this campus, but that tree was transplanted. That tree, that ironwood tree is actually over 80 years old. The ironwood tree, I don't know if you know this, uh, you may not because most of us aren't from here, right? That's why the Cardinals are everyone's second favorite team is because uh, is most of us aren't from here. And if you're not from here, you may not know the significance of the ironwood tree. I didn't until our architect and our landscape architect started talking about it and what they uh, explained and why I got so geeked up about that tree, why I always start the tour with that tree um, is that that tree is the ironwood is, is native to the Sonoran Desert. So the Sonoran Desert that's here in Arizona and, and parts of Mexico, uh, that's the only place in the world that that desert ironwood tree grows. And it's slow growing, right? A lot of these other trees, they grow up as fast as possible and they fall down as soon as the wind comes, but not the ironwood tree. It's slow growing. It's steady and it's firm and it's strong. That's why it's called ironwood. It's actually one of the few woods that if you, if you put a piece of ironwood in water, it will sink because it's so sturdy. It's so strong. So this tree, it's a picture of longevity. It's a picture of strength. It's a, I learned a, a picture of blessing. Uh, the ironwood tree in the Sonoran Desert, it's, what, it's what's known, and this is kind of a technical term that I feel really smart about knowing. Uh, it's called a habitat-modifying keystone species. Don't I sound smart? Isn't that, I mean, you can tell your friends, hey, how was church? Oh, let me tell you. Habitat-modifying keystone species. Here's what that means. Uh, keystone species means it's a species that if you took it out of the desert, everything else would get worse. It's a keystone Lots of the other plants and the animals, they, they thrive to the degree that the ironwood thrives. And it's such a significant keystone that it's a habitat modifying keystone species. It's a tree that makes a real difference for lots of other people. And man, I, when I heard that, I was like, gosh, that sounds awesome. Because as the people of God, we're blessed in order to be a blessing. Uh, we want to uh, not just be a blessing here for us, but, but beyond us. And so, man, this, this tree, I'm going like, this is so cool. It's, it's a picture of longevity, of strength, of blessing. And then I learned it's a picture of resilience. I talked to the gentleman who actually helped source that tree because you can't just take them out of the desert. You have to, you know, have, there's a whole legal thing you got to go through to be able to transfer something like that. And he said what he loves about the ironwood tree. And when, when he told me this, I was like, oh man, I'm writing that down. So here's his direct quote. He said this. He said, the more war and trouble they go through, the better they look. Stress makes them bloom. And so I love that tree, right? Because we're this kind of new church. I mean, January will be our 15th anniversary, which in the grand scheme of things is not very long. 
And it's this picture that even though we're relatively new and even though we're like oftentimes not really knowing what we're doing, we're part of this larger thing. We're part of this older thing. We're part of this strong, resilient, beautiful, blessed to be a blessing thing. And so I start with that tree when I give tours because to me that tree is a picture of what I want our church to be. Strong, lasting, blessed to be a blessing, resilient. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about what our church is and uh, what it's going to be. And so this is a moment where we're going to take a break from the book of Revelation and handle some family business. We're going to talk about some stuff that affects us here as a church. If you're totally flabbergasted by that, uh, you didn't know that was coming, then you need to get on our email list. Uh, because I emailed a thing out today or this week, said, hey, we're talking about some big stuff. Uh, to do that, just go to our website, go to the very bottom. You can sign up to opt into our uh, emails that go out. Um, but this is a, a time where we're going to talk about some stuff that really impacts those of you who would call this church home. Now, uh, what I realize is some of you are not in that spot, right? You, some of you even are guests today. And you go, well, gosh, I picked the worst Sunday to come. And I would say, actually, I think you picked one of the best. Because I think it's actually in these kind of key moments of how does a church handle its family business, you actually get some really interesting insight into what's going on. And so uh, here's what, I have, what I've learned over the years. Whenever I have something important I need to tell my wife or my kids, I have to start out at the beginning and go, it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry. Nothing's wrong. And, uh, and, and also, by the way, uh, this is not an, an announcement about me leaving. I'm not leaving, okay? I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. Um, I am all in as ever, and uh, by God's grace, I'm going to outlast you, and uh, you're not going to get rid of me anytime soon. So uh, those of you that, you know, were worried about that or rooting for that, you know, <laughs> congratulations or too bad. I don't know, whichever, whichever it is for you. Um, but, but we're going to talk about this, this kind of family business, and here's how I want to do it. I want to I share first a scripture that shapes our mission and our decisions, and then I want to talk about... Um, Three, three significant changes that are coming. One, that's a shorter term thing, but actually affects everybody. And two, that are longer term and uh, have to do with our future as a church. So uh, will you pray with me and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Thanks for this opportunity to uh, talk about who we are as a people. And Lord, you know my nerves right now. I just so much don't want to be misunderstood. And I so much love everyone in this room and everyone involved in uh, this story. And I pray, God, for your help. Lord, I'm frequently comforted by the picture you give us of manna that the people of Israel were to gather enough for today, trusting there'd be enough tomorrow for tomorrow. So God, would you give me the manna for this moment? Would you help us to... Uh, hear your voice and to hear your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to begin with a scripture that shapes our mission and our decisions. And this is the scripture that Kelly read here just a moment ago. And so I want to just draw your attention to this. This is what's known commonly as the Great Commission. Uh, this will be familiar to some of you. Others of you, this will be pretty new. But the, this is in Matthew chapter 28. So Jesus has spent three years with his disciples. He's been teaching and training them. Then he goes to the cross. He dies as a substitute for sinners like them and like you and I. And he rises from the dead. And then he spends a number of days with them, training them, teaching them, leading them. 
And this Matthew 28 is kind of this uh, sort of last moment. It's, it's uh, you know, kind of his final words to his disciples before he ascends to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, where he will come again to judge the living and the dead, as we just recited in the Nicene Creed. And so uh, anytime someone has like their last words, it's kind of a big deal. All right? So these are the last words of Jesus. And by the way, these form the mission of our church. Like uh, we can go off as a team of leaders and, and talk about what should our strategy be, and that's fine. And we can go out as a group of leaders and talk about, you know, what uh, sort of slogans should we embrace. But we don't get to go off and decide what our mission should be. Jesus already gave it to us. We don't get to pick. This is it, all right? So here's the mission, and this mission is sandwiched beautifully between these just two stunning promises. Uh, this is a great commission with these incredible promises. So let me just show you the promises first. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's pretty remarkable. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By the way, that's what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. <laughs> He's the king. You know, kingdoms come, kingdoms rise, chaos comes, chaos goes, but Jesus is king over all of it. So all authority in heaven and on earth. By the way, where else would there be any authority? Nowhere, right? He's saying, all of it's mine. I'm the king. I'm reigning. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always. That's a stunning set of promises, by the way. I want to focus on the main thing in the middle, but just to say, like the one who has all authority over everything is not just far off and distant and in charge of stuff, but uncaring. He's actually going to be with you always. He's going to shepherd you. He's going to know every hair on your head. He's going to walk with you always, he says, to the end of the age. And then in the middle of it, he gives this mission. He gives this uh, commission, this, this uh, command. In verse 19, he said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, there's, at first glance, it seems like there's a bunch of verbs in here, but if you actually look at the original language, what you see is there's really one main verb, and then there's what are called participles, these other parts of speech that are supporting the one main verb. So let me show you. Here's the one main, main verb. It's not go. It's make disciples. This is the command. This is the commission. This is, here's what you're supposed to do. A disciple, by the way, is just someone who's a follower, someone who's a learner, right? Someone who's in the following Jesus line. Now get this. He doesn't say make SEAL Team 6 level disciples. <laughs> now, we'd all love to become that, right? But a disciple is simply someone who's in the following Jesus line. If you're following Jesus, if you're trusting in Christ, if you've experienced him forgiving your sin, then you're a disciple. Then you're connected to him. You're in the body of Christ. You're part of the church. And here's the mission. Go make more of you. And you go, well, I don't know if I want to make more of me. Well, then you have some repentance to do. And we have some repentance. To, and I get it, right? Like, none of us are perfect. But this is the idea. Go make more followers of Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, the, the way we do that are these other participles. It's by going, right? There are people in your life that aren't in my life. There are people in, in someone else's life that aren't in your life. And your job, our job, is to go wherever God sent us. 
to go with the love of God, to go with the message of Christ, to go with the heart of Jesus for people, to, to go. And as we go, we're to make disciples. And then the other thing we do is we baptize them, meaning we welcome them into the family of God. By the way, we'll be celebrating baptisms uh, next Sunday. And this, I think, is the last day. If you're a follower of Christ and you're in the following Jesus line, but you've never gone public with that, now's your time. You can help us fulfill the Great Commission next Sunday. How about that? Get, it, get up here and do that. All right, so we're making disciples by going, by baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just recited the creed about who the Father, Son, and Spirit are. And then the, the third thing we're doing to make disciples is we are teaching them to observe. That seems pretty important. We're not just teaching that we would know a bunch of stuff, but actually teaching one another to follow Christ to obey Jesus, to live a life that's in line, that's in the grain of, of how God made us, that's life the way it was meant to be. So this is our mission. This is what we're about, is we are to make disciples. Now, here's what I want to say. Everything we do is a tool toward that goal. Everything, right? A disciple is someone who's growing in love. They're growing in their awareness of God's love for them. They're growing in their awareness of, of love for God, their love for the church, their love for their neighbors, their love for their family. They're, that's what a disciple is, someone in that following Jesus line. And everything we do is a tool to make that happen. By the way, this is, this is how most things work, right? Most, most of the time in most industries, most places of life, there's like a mission and you should be absolutely rock solid, unwaveringly committed to the mission but totally willing to adapt the methods, the strategies, the particular things in order to accomplish the mission, right? You marry the mission, you date the strategy. So, so here's some examples. If you're a first grade teacher, you're, one of the things you might say, my mission as a first grade teacher is getting kids to read. Okay, what are you gonna do to do that? Whatever you gotta do, right? The strategy adapts. If you're a real estate agent, you're saying, my mission is to build a referral business. Strategy adapts. If you're Taylor Swift, your mission is world domination. <laughs> Strategy adapts. Sure, I'll date a football player and ruin the NFL for everyone. <laughs> Whatever. World domination. Get this. As a church, the mission is make disciples. The strategy adapts. Okay? So that's, that's what's shaping everything we do. And, and I'm not going to necessarily keep referring to it a bunch, but I just want you to know, as we talk about the three changes that I'm making, that is completely what's driving us as, as an elder team as it relates to these decisions. Okay? We want to we see more people in the following Jesus line, growing in their awareness of God's love for them, growing in their love for others, uh, enjoying all the blessing that it is to know Christ. Okay? We marry the mission, but the strategy adapts. All right, so there's, uh, there's three changes that we want to talk about. And this first one definitely affects everybody. It's related to new service times. So uh, January 7th, uh, I'll tell you what the times are in a moment. But uh, in January, we're going we're gonna to shift our service times. This is, I don't know, the 900th time we've done this in the last 14 years or something like this. But, but I, I think it's just, since we're talking about changes, this is worth uh, spending just a few moments on. Uh, when we think about Sundays, by the way... It, I hope you get this. Our mission as a church is not to have Sunday services. Our mission is to make disciples. Sunday services are a tool in that process. Just like small groups, just like serving, just like blessing the community, just like international missions, they're all tools. 
Right, but when we think about our Sunday's services here in this room and then in our kids' ministry rooms, here's the three priorities that we're thinking about. We're thinking about how can we have a great experience for adults, kids, and families, a great experience that is high impact, high relational, uh, high good news, high uh, filling up, you know, all our attention about Jesus. That's one thing we want. The second thing we want to do is we want to mobilize servants because we believe you don't become like Jesus unless you serve, right? The kingdom is backwards, we just saying. Lord, teach us to serve. So we want to mobilize people to serve. If you're not using your spiritual gifts to serve other people uh, inside the church and outside the church, then let's go. Come on. It's time. All right. So that's the second thing. Uh, the third thing is sustainability. We, we, I mean, it's funny when, when we first planted the church, we had months and months and months before the first service. And it's like, holy cow. Sunday comes with jarring regularity. Wham, 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 wham. Every seven days, it's Sunday again. How do we do this, right? And, uh, and uh, Sunday services are not like student ministry, right? Student ministry, you take off for summer, you take off a little bit for fall break, you pause, you relaunch. It's not like that in the church. It's just week after week after week. So we got to do it in a sustainable way. And uh, by and large, I want to tell you, like, I think for the most part, this is happening in our church. And this is why I'm, I'm really excited about what's going on on Sundays. There's lots of new folks coming, uh, lots of new people who are going in to start here and going into Rooted and figuring out how to take next step, uh, next steps. And, and I'm so proud of our, our, of our kids' ministry, of the investment. I mean, there's, there's 350 to 400 kids every Sunday. Uh, that's like larger than the average church in America by about... 400%. Just kids. I got this note from uh, a mom of a kid in our ministry. I just thought I'd share this with you. She said, the kids ministry at Gateway has been life-giving to our son, Vito. Vito's 11 and he's an amazing and brilliant kid. His, his name literally means life and he is full of it. However, about three years ago, we saw a drastic decline in Vito and even his health began to decline. He was struggling tremendously in school, both in the classroom and among his peers socially. He longed to fit in and have a sense of belonging, but he never found that, and it only got worse. He would come home from school in tears and say, Mom, do you think I'm weird? I'm not like the other kids. I have no friends. No one wants to play with me. Last year was the most intense as he began to miss several days of school due to intense anxiety, headaches, and depression. She says, we didn't know it at the time, but Vito had several undiagnosed special needs and sensory processing issues. I was completely overwhelmed when I found out, and I was hopeless that Vito would never be able to find a place full of love, support, and belonging, but God, she says. God had a kids ministry here at Gateway, fully equipped and eager to provide love and hope to Vito. Not only were the leaders able to put me in touch with special needs coordinators and volunteers, they also provided tools and resources that were immediately available to help Vito feel comfortable and confident to engage in church. Every week, the kids volunteer teachers and helpers love on Vito and share with him life-giving hope in Jesus. We've seen excitement and wonder return to him. He's a totally different kid. He's making new friends here at kids ministry and building precious relationships and regaining self-confidence. I am finding myself that I am not alone and God's people are loving my broken heart back to life and giving me hope again. I'm forever grateful to the men and women and young adults and teens who volunteer each week. There are so many kids out there suffering and hurting and you, family of God, are making an impact for eternity. Amen. Praise God, right? 
And it's like, okay, that's what we want. We want more of that. Um, but we're facing some challenges that are, that are making it hard uh, to do that. And uh, specifically at the four o'clock service. So uh, at our four o'clock service, you may not know this if you just always come at nine, but we have nine, 1045 and 4 p.m. And uh, it takes, in order to provide an experience like that, it takes uh, at least 22 adult volunteers at each service. There's lots of kids, lots of teenagers, but we have to have at least two adults in every room to be able to love and do the kid stuff well. That's mostly happening most of the time in the morning services, but at the evening service, we're only getting on average about 15 adults. And there's a lot of young families that come to that 4 p.m. service. Um, lots of the 4 p.m. volunteers just can't do it weekly. It's just hard to be here in the morning and then come back. And it's been very difficult. So almost every week at the four o'clock service, there's a big volunteer deficit. So we have to combine classes, which means less consistent volunteers, less care, less specific attention, less opportunities for someone like Vito to have a consistent experience. So we've got to change it, right? Because we marry the mission, make disciples. We change the strategy. We want to give kids not a, like, just childcare experience. We want to give them a, I love church and I'm learning about Jesus experience at every service. Amen? And so that's what we're going to do. So January 7th, here's the, here's the times, here's the change. January 7th, we're going to move to three services back to back to back in the morning. We will not have the 4 p.m. service starting January 7th. It'll be at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Our fifth grade ministry will move to just the 11.30 service. So that will be our times. And, uh, and I would love, here's, here's what I want. So you're all here at 9. Most of you normally come at nine. Congratulations. You're now our 8.30 service. Give yourself a hand. Way to go. You did it. Amazing. Um, here's, here's what I'm telling you. I really, I really would ask you if, if you're a regular at nine o'clock, like some of you, you just popped in today and went, oops, you know. <laughs> but if you're a regular here, here's what, I, at the end of this, we're going to go, how can you help? Here's how you can help. Move to 8.30. It's a, it's a real, you might think, well, that's an extra half hour. It's an extra two hours for the people at 1045. So the mo people most likely to do it are you. Um, 830 is, is your new service time. Congratulations. Um, and then here's what we're asking is that you would attend at 830 and then serve at 10. 10 is that sweet spot, especially for people that generally don't come to church. A lot of them are going to show up there and we want their vetoes to have that experience at 10 o'clock. So we want to invite you and encourage you to attend one and to serve one and to get involved in kids ministry. Here's a, a URL if you want to be able to, or a QR code, if you want to be able to scan that, if you go, you know what, I, I think I could make a difference like that. I'd love to not just do childcare, but actually do kids ministry. Like I'd love to do that. We'd love to involve you and put you to work in that process. So um, we are, uh, that, that's, that's the change we're making. We, we want to ask you, please do make it a pattern, make it a rhythm to attend one and to serve one, to have that just be a regular part of your church experience. All right. So how's that feel? 830 service. Here we go. Way to go, gang. Good job. All right. Here's the second change. And uh, this may not affect each of you on a week to week basis, but this is a big significant thing in the overall life of our church. Uh, the second change relates to just uh, changes in Redemption Church. 
So um, let me give you a little bit of just history because you, you may not all know this. Uh, our church was originally planted in 2009. We were originally called Second Mile Church. It came from that part of uh, Matthew 541 where Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. And so we were the Second Mile Church. We figured that would be better than the Other Cheek Church, you know, where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. We thought, well, let's, let's go Second Mile. So we went Second Mile. And, uh, you know, we met at ASU Poly and then over at Perry High School. And uh, we were part of a group of other churches, East Valley Bible Church and Praxis and Tempe, who were just working together to do different stuff. And along the, the way, the idea came up of like, well, what if we all actually became one church? Where we were one organization, but with lots of freedom to kind of keep doing what we're doing locally, but, you know, pool resources to be able to plant churches and develop leaders and do stuff like that. And so that's what happened in 2011. Each of the churches uh, gave up their name and became Redemption Church and merged together. And uh, we rapidly multiplied and added. We went from, you know, originally... There were three congregations and then very quickly went to 10. Lots of new, new a couple that were adopted and then a, a bunch that were planted. And so lots of new leaders, lots of new churches, lots of new places, lots of new opportunities. And uh, a lot of that went really, really well. Uh, once we got to about 2019, it started getting tougher. I mean, that's just a lot of relationships to keep track of and to manage, right? Like the whole thing started because you had a group of pastors going, hey, we just like hanging out with each other. What if we just did it more? And now it's like instead of five or six people in the room, there's like 14 people in the room and it just gets trickier and it gets challenging. And now there's churches in different kinds of communities that need different kinds of emphasis and the water just starts getting choppy, especially when we get into 2020. 2020, not only do you have COVID and all the decisions that churches had to make about that, but you had issues related to race and issues related to culture and you had an election. Boy, that's coming again. Isn't that gonna be fun, gang? Hey, hey, how about this? How about for the next year, we all lose our minds? Yeah, yeah, you know, let's go, right? And uh, that happened in 2020. And so um, at, kind of through that, um, I, was, uh, I volunteered for and was drafted into a kind of 50-50 role where about half my time was spent here locally uh, at Gateway as a lead pastor, and about half my time was focused on trying to help uh, do ministry and coordinate things between the different congregations. And uh, that just became very, very difficult. That became really hard. It was hard for me, uh, you know, because as, as we started getting back to things uh, after COVID, like lots of new people were coming, it just started to get really, really difficult. And just dynamics in redemption just made it really, really hard. As, as each church was maturing, each church was kind of more of its own thing. And yet you're trying to be one thing. How do you do that? How do you do that well? And so in uh, 2023, some of you will remember in April, I was commissioned by the other lead pastors to be part of a five-person sprint team to try to help address some of these organizational issues. And as we got into that work this past summer, we realized pretty quickly, uh, this is not going to be able to continue as a one church, 10 congregation entity. Just the needs that people have, the things that are going on, it's just, it's just not going to work. And so there's been, over the summer, lots of prayer and lots of seeking the Lord and lots of conversations and lots of trying to figure out, what do we do with this? Because we all love each other, we're all committed to this mission, but this is getting, this is getting complicated. It's been complicated for a while. What do we do? And so uh, we had from about July, mid-July to mid-September uh, 
every elder at all 10 congregations was in a significant season of prayer and decision-making about how are we going to handle this, what are we going to do going forward. And so I want to share with you uh, what's changing. So uh, by, by the way, um, I spent like 90 minutes explaining this to the members, and I got a fraction of that time now, so I'm going to try to do my best, all right? Here's what's changing, is we're moving from being one church to being 10 churches. So we've been one 501c3, uh, now we're going to be 10 501c3s. Actually, 11 if you include the Surge Network, which has been kind of under our umbrella. It'll be its own organization as well. So one 501c3, uh, one you know, accounting, one payroll, one benefits package, now it's going to be 10. 10 different churches, 10 distinct churches in that process. Uh, the second thing is some of the 10 churches are going to move directly into new partnerships with one another. So seven of the churches are going to keep their name, Redemption whatever, and uh, begin a new network. So they're going to start a new network that they're going to call the Redemption Network. So it's going to be ten or seven distinct churches in a new network where they'll uh, do some a formal partnership together. Uh, two of the churches are going to partner together and uh, possibly change their name or work together in some way. Um, and then here's the third uh, change is that Gateway is going to change our name. And we're not going to move immediately into formal partnership with those other churches. We love them to death. We uh, have great respect and admiration, and I hope that will even come through in the rest of what I want to say. Uh, but we don't feel like now is the time for us to move into a formal partnership. So there's a lot of questions that you might have about that. And so on our website right now uh, is, if you go under articles, uh, there's a spot with lots of the questions we've been getting as we've talked with different leaders and members about this, the frequently asked questions, you can look through that. Uh, there's also a detailed explanation from the management team of redemption as a whole about this. So uh, if you're interested in the details of that, let me uh, encourage you to check that out. But I wanna just share a couple of things that I think are important for you to know. Uh, a couple of key big questions that I think I, I would have if I were you. The first one is this, uh, why can't we stay one church? Like it wasn't that long ago, I got up on this very stage and talked about how we're still better together. So why, why aren't we anymore? And uh, there's a few reasons. And again, this is my perspective. There's been lots of people involved in this. And lots of people would have different perspectives and different understandings and different sense of what they think happened. Uh, but here would be mine. So uh, I can think of three big reasons why I think we can't stay one church. The first one is just the growing challenge of being one church, but feeling like 10 churches. Like most, I bet there's a good chunk of you in this room who are like, wait a minute, we're not our own church? What? Like you didn't even know. That's how much it feels like we're our own church already. Right? So th that's just a weird thing. We're one entity, one organization, one bank account. One name, but we really feel like 10 different churches. That's, that's challenging. Someone that works in our central ops staff, she said this. She said, guys, she said this to the lead pastors. I was so proud of her. She said, uh, hey, um, working with all of you, it feels like we're in a 10-passenger van and there's a brake pedal at every seat. And if any one church goes, we don't like that, it stops everything. And, uh, and that just isn't sustainable, right? Either you have to like, everyone has to turn in their brake pedal to a centralized leader who has the authority to tell you what to do, which no one's interested in, or you just gotta get in 10 separate cars. And so that's what we're gonna do. 
Here's the second reason why I think we can't stay one church. It's just the higher relational requirements that were starting to become more than we could effectively maintain, right? The, he the health of this, the strength of it was on the basis of relationships. When there's so many people and every church is getting bigger and every staff is getting larger, it's just the, the keeping the relationships up become very challenging. Here's a third reason why I think this is happening, where we're not going to be able to stay as one church, is that uh, congregations want to express local ministry priorities and in some cases adapt second-tier theological convictions without creating challenges for other congregations, right? There is just this reality of anything that I say on a Sunday affects other congregations in redemption because we're all one church. And uh, that, that's a challenging thing. And so that's why we can't stay one church. Here's, here's another question that I think I would have if I were you is, well, why isn't Gateway going to be in the redemption network, right? If there's seven of the churches that are going to keep the name redemption and be in the redemption network, uh, why aren't we going to do that? And here's why. As we prayed through this and talked through this as elders, as we invited uh, male and female staff into the conversation to speak into this, as we, uh, did lots of time praying. I know Molly and I had lots of porch conversations and lots of prayer. Uh, it just became absolutely clear to us that we had a renewed call to focus our time and energy on our local mission. That for us as senior leaders in Redemption Church Gateway, we needed to be focused on making disciples, not on running a large organization. That's what we felt like, that's what we're called to and that's what we need to do. And, uh, and, and listen, we have new people that are not, that, that we need to shepherd. Like, think about this. In 2020, before COVID hit, anyone, I just hate saying the word. COVID, I hate it, okay. Before that, we were about 16, 1700 people. When the dust settled in 2021, we were about 1000 people on a Sunday. We're now back to 16, 1,700 people. A bunch of you are new. You need to be shepherded. You needed to be incorporated. You need to be led on the mission. There's also, by the way, so many houses being built. So many people that don't have a church. So many people that need Christ. So many people in your life that you go, oh, I'm praying for them. I want to, I want to, man, if there's some opportunity to invite them to church, I want to do it. Like we want to focus on that. And uh, I'm so grateful uh, for everything that we've done in redemption. I'm so grateful that so many of the other leaders in redemption invited me into the pulpit, invited me into elder meetings, invited me into key moments. I, I don't have any regrets about serving in that role and in that capacity. But here's the thing. I'm ready for something different. And I'm ready to focus here. We, when we planted this church almost 15 years ago, it was like we planted a flag in the Southeast Valley and we said, we are gonna preach the gospel and we are gonna make disciples and we are gonna uh, teach the Bible and we're gonna help people follow Jesus in the places they live, work, study, and play. We're gonna do that. We're gonna plant that flag. And for the last few years, I feel like I've been kind of holding the flag, trying to help other congregations plant theirs. And here's what this is about. This is about saying, hey, we love all of you. Uh, we will see you around. We will partner you with you down the road if the opportunity sets itself up. But right now, in this season, at this moment, at this opportunity for our church and the mission God's called us to, we're planting the flag again. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to plant the flag towards this local mission. Um, so that's why we're not going to be in the network. Now, here's what I want to say, especially to those of you, because I know there's hundreds of you at, across our church who have really close family and friends who are at these other congregations, 
right? And all the congregations today are talking about it in some way, shape, or form. A lot of them aren't even going to do a full sermon on it because maybe in their sense, not as much as changing for them. Um, but here's what I want to tell you. If that's, if that's you, um, I feel your loss because that's totally true for me. Some of my closest friends in ministry are part of these other congregations. The people who raised me as a pastor are part of these other congregations. And uh, so if you go, man, I, that just feels like a bummer. I agree. It does. And there is real loss. Now, I've had a lot more time than you're now having to be able to process that loss. So I can move, like right now, I can be a little more excited than you're probably able to be. And so I just want to acknowledge that and say, hey, take the time you need to be able to process that loss, to be able to, uh, to, be able to deal with it, to be able to feel it, to be able to do what it takes, because it is real loss. I mean, people who I deeply care about that are part of that redemption network that I'm just not going to see as much. I'll still see them. Uh, hopefully you'll still see your family and your close friends. <laughs> I hope. If not, then maybe you shouldn't feel that much grief. Uh, We'll still see them, but it'll be different. And there's a real loss there. All right, now here's some important things. Here's some important things that are not changing. Our doctrine is not changing. Our convictions are not changing. Our resolve to preach the scriptures is not changing. Our culture here as a local church, the things we love and get excited about, that's not changing. Our local elders and staff are not changing. Our affection for the other nine churches is not changing. Listen, gang, half my wardrobe is redemption t-shirts, okay? I'm not getting rid of them. Like, not just because I have nothing else to wear, but because I love these people. I'm not ashamed of redemption. I'm not ashamed of that R. It's an awesome R. It's not going to be our R anymore, but boy, I love it. So our affection for the other nine churches isn't changing. Our commitment to be generous and to bless other churches is not changing. We'll keep doing that. Our heart for gospel-motivated racial reconciliation is not changing. Our investment in the next generation is not changing. Our care for the vulnerable is not changing. Our outward focus is not changing. And our declaration that all of life is all for Jesus is not changing. So there's so much about this, it's not changing. You go, well, then what is changing? <laughs> Here's what's changing, our structure and our name. Now the structure is largely not gonna affect most of you. The structure will affect our staff a lot, right? Cause they're gonna have to figure out, we're gonna have to figure out payroll and insurance and all sorts of stuff. But the one thing that will affect you uh, at some point, God willing, uh, is, is you, know, you may have to you know, reestablish your online giving into a new platform or something. You will, right? Uh, <laughs> But, but, but most of the structural stuff, you're not going to feel that very much, but, it, but it's a big change and it's a big change for our team. I think, by the way, we have a great team ready to be able to process and handle that stuff. Uh, there aren't many worship pastors who also have an MBA like Matthew Braselton does, so I think we're going to be okay. Um, but our name is changing and that's the thing that you'll see uh, first and, uh, you know, have to... Um, yeah, that, that'll be what you see. That'll be the most kind of visual thing. So, so what's our name changing to? What are we doing? Well, I told you at the beginning about a tree and its longevity and its strength and its blessing and its resilience. The kind of tree that the more war and trouble it goes through, the better it looks. 
That's who we've become. That's who we're going to continue to be. And so, January 7th, we are becoming Ironwood Church. That's who we're going to be. And uh, that is my prayer, that God would make us a tree that's, that's blessed to be a blessing, that allows other people uh, to thrive and to endure, uh, that, that is strong and that is resilient. So let me just conclude this by sharing a couple of things. Here's what's next. So as it relates to this, uh, next week, uh, you're going to be back here. We'll be Redemption Gateway, right? We're going to be Redemption Gateway until January 7th. Uh, next week, we'll continue our series in the book of Revelation. And then after that's over, December 10th and 17th, uh, we're going to do just a two-part message where I'm going to share about what I think are the Ironwood family traits. What are the things that mark us as a people? Uh, this is what's so fun, by the way, is when you're planting the church at the beginning and you talk about your values, they're all what you hope to become. We're 15 years in. Now we can talk about here's who we are and we're not letting go of it. All right, so that's what the Ironwood Family Traits uh, will be about. And then January 7th is gonna be our 15th anniversary as a church. Uh, that's when we'll have the new service times of 8.30, 10, and 11.30, and that's when we will shift into this new name of using Ironwood Church, all right? So here's how you can help. A lot of you said, okay, this is interesting. What can I do? How can I help? Well, here's how you can help. Uh, first of all, pray. Pray. Pray for this season of transition. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the staff. Pray for the, the people who have to make a lot of interesting and difficult and challenging decisions. Pray for our ability to communicate. Pray for our heart to come through. So please pray. Uh, the second thing is participate. Keep coming to this church. Keep inviting people. Keep serving. Keep giving. And if you're not doing that stuff, then use this as an invitation, as an opportunity to start doing that, to start inviting people, to start serving, to start giving, to start being in that. And then pick which service you're going to come to. But you don't need to do that at 9 because you're already picked that you're coming at 8.30. Uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you for picking 8.30. I appreciate that. So pray, participate, and pick. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, brother. All right, here's how I want to just finish. Is uh, this mission that's all about making disciples. A disciple is someone who's learning. And a disciple is someone who's following. And get this, we're not just learning ideas. And we're not just following truths. But when God wanted to reveal himself as a savior, he came as a person, Jesus Christ. Not a philosophy, not a theology, not an ideology, a person. And that's who he came as, and that's who he gave his life as, and that's who he rose as, and that's who he's coming again as, and that's who he invites us to follow him as. To know Christ, to follow him, to make him known. And now he sends us as his people on this great commission to make disciples because all authority is his and he's with us forever. And so our strategies and our tactics and our name, it's gonna change. But Christ and his mission endures, amen? Let's pray. So Father, thank you for the mission of Christ and the opportunity to participate in it. God, we thank you so much uh, for how good you are to us and how faithful you've been over these 15 years. And God, I thank you for uh, the partnership we've had in Redemption Church. Uh, I love so many people uh, who are not part of our congregation but are beyond it. 
And I pray, uh, God, just for all of us in this season of transition, that it would go as smooth as possible. Um, But God, I thank you for this group of people, for this church, for this church family. God, by your grace, we've become and will continue to be Ironwood Church. And I pray that we would be a church with longevity, with strength, with blessing, with resilience. Lord, give us soft hearts and steel spines. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.